0: Welcome everyone. It's the first episode of series two of George and Charlie off the bridle. I'm Tony Rushmer and series one signed off with a live audience special from the Kingshead, Dullingham. Well, it's a different situation today. I'm upstairs in my office and the main men, George Scott and Charlie Fellows, are in their respective Eve Lodge and Bedford House stables. A scene for our listeners, uh, folks. What's happening in Newmarket, boys? George, you're sat there with a very short haircut. I can see how how's spring treating you.
1: Yeah, not too bad, Tony. Finally, i will take take five. We managed to get this thing rolling. Fellows is coming late to the meeting. It looks like a, he's got a big moustache, like a sort of a me- Mexican cowboy. Um, but no, all, all okay. On a serious note, obviously, it's a particularly um, worrying time for everyone, not just not just our industry. Um, but um, from 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 that point of view, uh, the staff have been fantastic here, and Newmarket Touchwood has been sort of relatively unaffected, um, unlike um, large parts of the country. So we've carried on um, training the horses as instructed, and um, we've made a lot of changes. Uh, it changes to to um, distance people. And as a result, um, life, life is going on, but in a precautionary manner at the moment.
0: Charlie, how's everything? Some very big news over the winter, has not there? In fact, the spring. Before we talk about life racing, tell us about the addition to the Fellows household.
2: Good. What are we? Are we afternoon? We probably are just afternoon. I've just queued up in Waitrose for the last two hours, trying to get some, 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 uh, some food for, uh, for baby Jack, who arrived about a month ago. And um, as a result, I am overtired. My fuse is rather shorter than normal. And the only thing that's keeping me going at the moment is seeing George Scott's stupid haircut that he's decided to do on lockdown.
1: (laughs) You look like you've wintered well anyway, mate.
2: Uh, Do you know what? I'm actually, I think I am looking okay at the moment. I've decided, so many people seem to have a go at me for... Uh, looking scruffy on the heath, and I get to, I think some people even set up a WhatsApp group about me and the fact that I wear hoodies and stuff like that. And so I've decided that I need a more sophisticated look, which is why I'm now supporting a a moustache, which I think gives me rather a uh, much more uh, educated look than maybe I would normally have.
1: I think it looks absolutely awful.
2: I think it looks okay. It's a real shave that you can't see the video. Not least so you can see my tash, but also so you can see George Scott's
1: awful haircut. I have got a shaved head. I, 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 I got bored on Sunday, and Polly took the clippers to me, and she went without a guard, so that's why it's absolutely bored on one side. George,
0: so. sure.
2: What is it? A, a,
1: a one? Three. No, it's a three.
0: George, you look like one of those football hooligans I used to see when I was a kid going to watch Norwich City and I was scared witless off as I was walking into the ground. It is just so short. What on earth possessed you to go that short? He's got the the good old English
2: rose uh, pale complexion too. Poor George does not suit summer weather. And so not only has he got a skinhead, but he is also white as anything. George Scott's wife is far too good looking for him. I don't know how he's
1: managed to pull that one off. It's... <laughs> I could say the same about you. Charlie rang me the other day, I say the other day, uh, when they had congratulations with baby Jack, but um, Charlie rang me the other day to say, I asked what the name was, and he said they were really keen to call it George, but he couldn't face me, <laughs> giving him a he was, he was
2: He was called George for one day, and in the end, I just... <laughs> I said, I'm really sorry. I love the name George, but I just cannot face George Scott consistently telling me that my son is named after him.
1: Wish I would have.
2: Wished he would have. And so we decided on
0: Jack. Charlie, George, you have, of course, in your respective stables got horses named after one another, our podcast syndicate. Can you update, please, on uh how George Scott and Charlie Fellow's equine versions are progressing this spring? Well, they're both about two stone lighter.
2: <laughs> George, George castrated Charlie Fellows uh, about a month ago, and I gave him a whole load of abuse about how he'd been pushing the horse too hard, and no wonder it had fallen out of love with racing and all of this. Was good. And then two weeks later, uh, George Scott started playing up and was rearing up and trying to cover everything that moved, rather like his namesake. And uh, as a result, I decided that I'd get my own back. And so he got castrated three days ago.
0: Apart from their lack of tackle, are we pleased with uh, how they're sort of uh, taking training? Yeah, very, very pleased. As Charlie and I were actually
1: again talking this morning about uh, the horses that's with me. He's he's really turned the corner, he looks fantastic. He was a little bit stary in his coat, but he looks good now and he's back cantering after his operation. So. I'm delighted with him. He looks always. Oh, so it's going to be sprinting, like his pedigree would suggest. And then Charlie, um, uh, Charlie's been. You, I mean, you're very pleased with your um, Zoffany he horse. He's a nice horse. He is a
2: bit, really good-looking horse, but he puts on weight like you've never seen. And he, you know, he just, he just has to eat fresh air and he puts on weight. Um, I know
1: how he feels. <laughs> So, welcome to Charlie Austin, Premiership footballer and um, obviously leading leading owner. How are you, mate? I'm alright. You just
3: ticking along, really. Just a bit weird situation. Um, housebound in the lockdown, etc. Doing a little bit of training, but not obviously what we would be doing. It's weird. It's it's hard. I know it's hard for everybody, but not not just us, for example. I don't really have to think that much. You wake up, go to training, told what to eat, what to train. Do you know what I mean? Everything's done for you. When you're at home with a wife and the kids for the first bit, it's great and stuff, you know. Now I'm just like itching to get out. <laughs> what, um, what, what's, what's the sort of
1: uh, news on regarding when you might be back training, Charlie?
3: Well, it's, it said May the 16th, um, where that was last week. And then yesterday, no, this morning. So they've come out and said that to finish the season, the games will be behind closed doors. What everybody thought anyway. And then all of a sudden, it's they're saying we need to test everybody. The only way it's going to work for us personally is it's probably going to need seventy-five people, I think, per squad. That includes obviously the training staff and everybody like that. Um so they're gonna to have to be tested. The only way I think it personally will work is it ends up like a World Cup or a, an international tournament where it's been secluded off. Do you
0: think do you think this season could get could get done then, Charlie? Do you think we'll get it finished at some point? I think so, Tony. Yeah, just
3: because I just feel that if they don't, the the financial um repercussions will be incredible for the football. I know they're up for discussion and renewal. Can football pay back the money that the t- television rights are owed I'm not too sure this is where the clubs could eventually go go bust but will it happen to the top teams I'm not too sure but the there's 72 well 71 teams in the EFL and like we see early on in the, the well, before the season start Bury went bust and that was only over uh, a chairman not putting his money in like he said all of a sudden they've gone bust and gone out of the football league now Six months down the line, we've got a pandemic going on in the world with a virus stop, all kinds of sports. What else and what other football teams, not only football teams, like you say, we have horse racing, tennis staff, golfers, etc., etc.,
0: all not earning money due to sports being
3: shut.
0: Are you able to keep fit? Are you able to practice? I mean, what, what does a sort of average morning look like, just trying to stay in shape and, I don't know, do you work on your ball skills We've been sent programs
3: and stuff to follow. Uh, fitness programs. Listen, with with football, it's so it's you can get fit. There's general fitness where we can all run in the treadmill and, and be on the bikes and the gyms and stuff. But when you come to movement and with the ball and that, it was completely different. So I think it's all about just making, trying to keep yourself as fit as you can. But inevitably, you don't, you know, that you're not gonna be until you get back.
0: And I know Fellows wants to talk to you because he's uh, his team is Nottingham Forest and they're in hot pursuit of West Brom. Correct, Charlie. Tune in and uh, ask the main man whether it's going to be a Forest promotion party or whether your boys are going to pip them.
2: No, we're not going to be. We're not going to pick West Brom, sadly. But I, I, I um, as a Forest fan who's been through 20, 30 years of hurt. When was the last time Forest were any good? Years ago, and we've now got a sniff, a sniff of the Premier League, and. There's this massive chance that it's all going to be taken away from us, this virus. Uh, so I'm desperately hoping the league gets finished because yeah. uh, we won't have a bigger
3: chance of going up in a long time. I don't think. They, they said they need 56 days to complete the the remaining games, including the playoffs and the playoff final, is what, is what they say. It, the championship? so it's so tight i think even though there's a six point gap for us to Fulham and, and Leeds have a seven point gap if it was months ago when we both teams were 15 16 points clear you'd think it's a foregone conclusion you know with nine games to go you think well look it's going to happen it's inevitable they're going to get promoted." now you just don't know it's only two games three games it's so tight through the championship everybody's there i you went through
2: that rough patch didn't you and then and then you just started winning again and then it all got stopped
3: yeah it all got stopped. i think we never won i think we spent like eight games but we've not been out of the top two since october so i think that just showed like the the, the strength and the quality we had to pull away and, and get a gap like that it was unheard of to happen and then all of a sudden we we've gone through a poor run and we're three points behind, uh, behind leads that like, we're in a nice position but do i miss the championship for the last time i've been in the premier league not really when everybody says the hustle and bustle of it you don't realize how tough the league is you know is it, it really is
2: that tough is it is a complete it's completely different to the premier league completely different I, i'm not
3: 50 50 i'm not saying the premier league is done happen but everyone gets smashed in the in the in the championship When the premier league everybody's very technical the quality is very much there the respectfulness is there maybe that's why shepherd united have done so well in the premier league this year where they've just kept their squad, and rolled their sleeves up and gone, right, we're going to respect you, but we're not going to show you too much respect. Uh, and that's why I guess they've done so well. Whereas other teams, say Norwich and Aston Villa, they try and pass it, they've brought in a few players, etc., etc., And unfortunately, it's, it's not really worked for them.
2: Oh, are there particular teams, Charlie, that you just dread facing? You know your shins are going to get an absolute battering.
3: Uh, not really. When you play against certain defenders, obviously, it's it's more... T- I remember the early days I hated playing against Millwall. I don't know what it was. It was just the the whole thing about playing against them. You go anywhere. When you play in the Premier League, the top teams have that aggression. I hated playing against Fernandinho for Man City, whether he played centre half or played centre midfield. He was the one that just, he didn't really care who he was. I could imagine that in training, he would kick you up. Do you know what I mean? Regardless, that's the difference. With the top players, they're a hundred percent. They're they're full blast all the time, and and that's why they are where they are.
1: Absolutely, Charlie. Is it, um, is there a lot going on? Um, you know, when you're when you're playing up front, is it very very sort of aggressive? There's a there lot of stuff going on under the radar. So sort, of sort of poking and prodding. You hear those legendary old centre backs and biting and pinching
3: that's good at like the game i think as much there's a lot of talking and because there's cameras everywhere do you know what i mean so if you get away with it on the pitch like you're seen in the camera then all of a sudden you're in front of the fa and it's three games down the line you know and you're banned so it is tough but it, it, you like getting plenty of chat there don't you you have to i think you have to that, that's part and parcel of the game do you know what i mean that that being there i've offered people many a times out in the tunnel after and then it just at the end yeah just shake your hands. Do you know what I mean? but that's what happens. It's when you go across the white line, it doesn't matter whether they're like your friends or, or they're your enemies. Do you know what I mean? I need to win. It's the same as any sport. If tennis was head-to-head, racing. As, as, as soon as your horse is in the store, like, you know, everything comes back safe. But, inevitable.
0: you want to win. Does it ever kick off in the tunnel, though, Charlie? Does it, I always wonder if at half-time or on final whistle, if a little bit of niggle carries on. Yeah, of course.
3: But I remember it went off the best I ever... I'm assigned for Burnley, right? This is going back. And at Preston North End, you know the tunnel's in the bottom left-hand corner at Preston? Yeah. Chris Eagles was playing for Burnley at the time, and then Chris Morgan was playing for Preston. Anyway, so it must have went on in the pitch, and honestly, then... And then afterwards, Eagles had ran down the tunnel. But all of a sudden, you see Chris Morgan chasing after him. There must have been 30 blokes in the tunnel. And it's only smaller. Preston, like the tunnel area, and the, the tunnel was just rocking, where right? the blokes were just trying to get at each other. Oh, it was incredible. Not, not as much now because there's so many stewards and obviously there's police in, in the way as
0: such. But um, In your early days when you were playing non-league before you got your big move, that must have gone on all the time at non-league level, didn't it? Some of the rough stuff and what have you. But then you go
3: for a pint, do you know what I mean? And the clubhouse after is different, <laughs> it's completely different now. But yeah, non-league, you just get punched, elbow, rich, shirt, the whole lot. But that was that was the love of the game. And I always say, when I was young, I played men's football when I was 15 for five years. And I felt like that gave me the advantage going into men's football at a young age because I'd gone through all the hustle and bustle. I'd been kicked by 30-plus-year-old blokes, you know what I mean, at an early age. So I wasn't really worried.
2: One more football question from me. You've played for quite a few managers, a few different clubs which manager did you most enjoy playing for who did
3: you who did
2: who did you enjoy your time with the most
3: um i should play good but i enjoyed ronald cooman even though i was only with him for six months ronald cooman do you know what i mean I'm, Holland dutch manager barcelona number four everything just incredible but the best manager for me i play i fell out like my best football was under was under harry rednapp but like when i played under him he just didn't get yeah just injected so much confidence into me that I felt every time I went on the pitch, I was going to score no matter what. I was going to play well for him. Uh, even when I was going for a spell, where I never scored for four or five games. He never dropped me. He always had faith in me and just his character, his charisma, the way he used to put his arm around, not only me, but a lot of players and, and, and boost them with confidence. And in that year we got promoted and it was fantastic. And then in the Premier League, unfortunately, we just, we was below par
0: and a fellow racing fan as well was did you used to bond over your mutual love of a punt and and the horses yeah oh yeah of course that was do you know what?
3: when we was there we never really talked football we used to talk horses all the time <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was and i think that's that was with your grandfather isn't it harry is yeah he's they, are good friends. it was um so that was uh, an, an easy talking point break the ice when i first met him i bet him before but obviously when i signed him sign from the day that was it, I and mean, me, me, Grant was over the moon when I signed and was playing for him, you know, you used should speak to each other every day, I remember once, my Grant rang him when he was doing a press conference, I think me, Grant was pissed, and uh, he rang him, and he, he put, he put the phone down, and he told all the press, oh, that's Charlie Austin's Grant, I think he's pissed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so where did the love of racing start then, Charlie, tell us all how you ended up becoming one day an owner with George Scott, of all people. Uh, he was, uh, me grandpa was the
3: man, it's not really my daddy, he's not really into horse racing, it's me grandpa, and um, so I, I like to race and like to have a bet, even when I was counting the odd and that, work on the building, so I like to have a bet, but I always thought one day, it's just, I'd be nice to own, own a horse if I could, fortunate got into the situation I did, and then owned a couple, and then that was it really, kind of took off from there, and then I got, George got in touch, and I ended up having
0: four or five of George another bat tell us i mean that horse took you everywhere and won everywhere didn't it yeah it was a weird like i'd litch honestly this is the
3: other self instinctive mad i am i had one with george then i got a phone call saying listen there's one over in ireland we can get and i was like okay go on then and he says this much and i was like "Mm, all right see if we can get it for a better price and i I think we got about five grand knocked on or something anyway come over and I remember, I remember Joy sending me sending me a picture saying, "Don't panic, he's a bit light." I was like, "Okay, fine, no problem." <laughs> yeah. Picture coming through. I thought it had just been taken pucked out from the field or something. Like that. Honestly, It was just skin and bone. Then went and ran Ripon first time and bowled up. And I was like, "Right, let's go and run Ascot. Let's have like a fun day." That was the first time I seen him in the flesh. I got into the parade ring. I'd see him. I was like. Oh, my God, George. He's like, yeah, you should have seen him six weeks ago when we got him. He ran eight for the Windsor Castle. It was great. Do you know what I mean? And then he went on and won at air the following, ran all the races. And then all of a sudden, George said to me, listen, there's a two-year-old race over in Turkey. With the total prize, 185,000 euros, 115 to the winner. I was like, when is it? He told me the dates. I was like, perfect. That's international break. <laughs> So right, we're going to get over there. Got the, got the missus, a uh, couple of mates and that, and we flew over there. I think uh, we flew on, my, uh, on a jet over to there. We was in on the Friday, then back out on the Monday morning, so I had training in the afternoon. went an incredible day. He'd, I'd seen him on the Saturday, and they kind of described it as their Royal Ascot, I guess, in Turkey, but you could just walk in. So you imagine going to Royal Ascot at the start of it, like the day before on a Monday. No one asked a question who I was, nothing. Anyway, come the Sunday, the race was off. It was incredible. They treated me like an absolute king. It was madness, asking me all sorts. And then we obviously won the race, and it just made it an amazing, amazing day. I think still to this day, it was the best race meeting I've been to, and obviously having the horse win was was incredible for me. It was funny because you... um... You, you we won he slept
1: he we, we were desperately trying to find a nightclub weren't we he couldn't find a nightclub anywhere
3: yeah we stung you for we went to zuma or something i had a really good dinner but then there's a funny picture but remember when remember they was inviting us to go to they was inviting me to go to that dinner weren't they and then uh andrew borders was like no don't, don't go there it's boring and then you have a like five grand
1: dinner bit afterwards it was a funny picture of him he went he was absolutely steaming obviously he
3: went to bed with a trophy didn't he? Asleep with the trophy. I think that was the only thing I was gonna cuddle that knife because the wife wouldn't have a none of it. <laughs> One funny
1: story was um, Charlie's never never been never comes to Newmarket, obviously it's always during the season, he's so busy. And uh, he was like, I'm gonna to come to Newmarket, but it's got to be a bit of a short visit. So he came up and uh, came to see the horses. We went for lunch and he was meant to be leaving at four o'clock in the afternoon. Anyway, lunch went on, he pushed her, I want to leave at six. <laughs> He ended up leaving at 9.30 the next morning.
3: <laughs> Absolutely murders. I'd gone from my house, got up there. i haven't been on the way, it was hammering down with rain. I thought, no, 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 listen, this, I'm not worried about not seeing the horses. Just like get me on the floor. I'm not worried about it. Oh yeah, because you flew up. Flew up, so got through this storm and landed. I was like, all right, that was, it was like, we just went through like a mad storm, got to Newmarket and the sun was shining. Went for food. What's that pub called? The King's
1: Head in that back room. I've got just a v- v- visions of you passed
3: out of the bathroom floor. <laughs> oh, it's in a world of trouble. I woke up about eight o'clock, I woke up about eight o'clock the next morning, my head was absolutely thumping, thinking, right, where's my mates? Did we get, did we get the helicopter to pick us up in the morning? One of my friends, Fish, he'd left. He'd got a taxi at four in the morning from George's to go home. I he got back at like half eight. We landed back in my garden at 10. <laughs> there was no, honestly, it was it was crazy. You know, one
0: of those days that just, just nothing was planned, but they just go off on one. It was it's very enjoyable. And what's your, what's your racing interest at the moment, uh, Charlie? Can you sort of update us? You've got a couple in training at the moment, around and about. Couple, I've got a couple in training. Do you know what, Tony, I'll be
3: honest with you. I kind of went down. I was having, I was having fun and then off, then the horses went, got to a level, but then my enjoyment was, I needed to see them because I can't go to the track as much. Then I realised I'm spending this money and having the fun, but I'm not really having the fun because I'm just watching it on the telly. Do you know what I mean? Well, I've got now, I've got two horses up with Richard Hannum. I've got an exciting two. He lives 10 minutes from me, so I can go up and watch horses work there and I can go alongside the horses. Do you know what I mean? So that's like me going to the races when I, when I go there. So I can be in my car going outside the gallops and stuff, which I really enjoy. I take the kids up there and they love it. Like, like I say, it's only 10 minutes. That's probably, it's probably how, how it should have been the whole time. Yeah. at the fund, you know what I mean? Because I couldn't go there or anything. It's, uh, it was mad, but as so I got to there, I got an uh, affiliate there called The Other Side, who, were, who is a half-sister uh, to Starboy who we had with the first horse with George. And she'd done a couple of bits of work, we had to give her a run, and then she went and won. I was like, okay, nice. Let's go from there. But obviously really, really pleased. And then we kind of put her away for the winter. I uh, have got a showcase in Philly up there called From Now On. Come second on debut at Newbury. Um, got beat by uh, Richard Spencer's Odyssey Girl. And then she went to Newmarket and come third over seven. which went down into the dip and then she just blew up. Whether she stays seven, I'm not too sure. But she, she's a nice type. And then
0: that's really it, to be honest. Do you, do you recommend ownership with George? You sound like you had a lot of fun up here. There must be a time where you'll come back and uh, have a horse in this part of the world with us again sometime. Of
3: course. But i tell you what, Tony, I think one thing I learned is, as I will say to a lot of people, the owners, you, you need to go and see them. You need to have the interaction with the trainers, which we had with George. And you, we, I, if I rang George or text George morning, noon, night, he would always reply our answer. Uh, and Charlie probably has the, has the same thing. It's, a lot of trainers don't would want their owners to come and see you pay money for your horses. And, and it is expensive. There's no point getting away from the sport. It, it is expensive sport to train. it. It's regardless, regardless, what it is. So for the money you put in, you need to go and see your horses really and have that time and see the other side of it. Cause you can go to the races anytime. And you, do you know what I mean? You can go there any, anytime you want. But so for me, maybe in later time when I can go up there and enjoy new market for, for what it is, you know,
2: yeah sure you get is it you've you've given an annoyingly good reason for moving your for not having any horses with george i was really looking forward to getting stuck in (laughs) and and praising you praising you for seeing the light and moving your horses to a much much better trainer
3: Oh,
1: no, no. We had 11 winners. Yeah, that's honestly like... But you, it's the value, you know, as you said, like, you know, if you're not getting the value out of seeing the horses, it's frustrating, you know? Yeah.
3: Of course, like i said, like, I got to a challenge, obviously 10 minutes, so like, I love going up there because I can see see them. It'd be the same if I, I lived in Newmarket and you, come, you could come to the yard and see the horses there, then go and watch them on the gallops. Do you know what I mean? That, that's I think, is part and parcel of it. People only see say non-owners, for example, they only see the racetrack and and see what the horse is like going around the parade ring, see him in the race in the colours, but not when they actually go to the yards and see what it takes to obviously to feed the horse, look after the horse. Do you know what I mean? The total care for it. So I didn't realise how hard and how, how a portion of luck is as you you need in in to be a racehorse trainer everyone says to me oh you're going to go into like mick Chan going to train it?" if i'm honest before i thought yeah be nice now no chance
0: <laughs> yeah no chance so just finish off and tell us a little bit about what lockdown life is like in the austin household are you going stir crazy or are you managing it pretty well uh do you know because the weather's been okay this is the first
3: day where it's been do you know what i mean where it's rained it's not been too bad Fortunate got a garden. The kids have got like, a, a part they can plant in the garden. Uh, and where I live, there's a, a load of fields to look on out in the countryside and go for nice walks and stuff when the weather's nice. Even now, you put the coat on and stuff. In the house, it's okay. The kids have got the electronics nowadays, haven't they? Do you know what I mean? And we've got enough schoolwork. However, I'm not the I'm not the teacher. I leave that to the to the wife. And when they drive me crazy, the kids, I just nip out to the garage where they're. I've got some weights and a running machine to do me, uh, do me fitness exercises. But um, it's okay. The, the TV's rubbish as well. There's only so many times you can... Listen, I, I do want to know what's going on in the, in the world and in the country, but there's only so many times you can watch it. Do you know what I mean? Put it on first thing in the morning. It's the, the, what they're talking about. Lunchtime the same, five o'clock briefing, every news bulletin. Obviously, rightly so. But there's only so much you can watch and listen to. But other than that, it's going all right. We haven't had no, uh, no full arguments yet. A few disagreements, but no arguments at all. No, we've been all right. Bloody
1: hell, you've done well, and you've sorted your barnet
3: out. I know. Do you know? Honestly, Missus was like, "Just shave your head, shave it." I said, like, "What?" So I have my beard first, and then I just went, "All right, fine." I barge went straight down the middle. You're a bit fluffy. That was it. I know. I need to do a bit more. But do you know what the problem I've got is? Yeah, the sides are growing quicker than the top. Charlie, what do you think of George's hair? <laughs> I know. Well, I'd... George, it don't look too bad that it's short. I just—it's a bad angle, Charlie. It looks fine, mate. Yeah, yeah. A bit of a shape up in that. Uh, you could never grow a beard, though, could you?
1: No. Take it, honestly, it'd take six months, and I wouldn't have. I mean, Fellows looks ridiculous. He's done well for the winter. Big moustache on him. Yeah,
3: I'd... Charlie, I'd... is that? Proper beard, or have so you
1: shaved? Obviously. No, no, no. I shaved.
2: I, I did have a proper. I did have proper stubble all over. But I shaved two days ago, and I, but I to annoy my missus who hates it. I left the moustache on, so I'm keeping that for the moment. I've got. A, I've got a sports quiz with a load of mates tonight on
3: whatever it is, and I, so I'm. I'm leaving the moustache for that. What's the uh, verdict for the racing? Any news on on what's going to happen with that anytime soon? Well, I think
1: uh, basically we're hoping to get back out in the first sort of you know when the when the lockdown starts to get lifted, but um you know I think like everyone you know like yourselves included, like we're all hopeful of getting getting the ball rolling, but at the moment it's just got a plateau hasn't it before any, anyone can get moving and it's not so.
3: Is it gonna is it gonna affect a lot of
1: people in racing? I think I think at the moment everyone's. I know the owners have particularly been really generous and, and kept the horses in training because we've got the whole season ahead. Of course, there'll be knock on effect, but at the moment, I think if we can get back racing end of May, then there's still lots of racing to be. You know, a huge amount of racing to be run, and I don't think it'll have too much of an effect. Hopefully, but everyone's going to be individual, you know.
0: Well, on behalf of all of us, Charlie, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, dial in and join us today. Really, really appreciate it and some 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 great stories there. And we look forward to your return to the new market in the hopefully not too distant future.
3: Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope we get through this and we can all get back doing what we want to do. OK,
0: chaps. Good luck, Charlie. Stay safe, mate. You guys. Take care. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. There we are. Charlie Fellows, West Bromwich Albion... uh, Sorry, Charlie Austin, West Bromwich Albion footballer. I can't see Fellows pulling on a shirt in the near future.
2: I was quite... I'll have you know, back in the day, I would have banged in a couple of goals.
1: We used to play together, five a side. Fellows used to come with his sort of scraggy, rip Tracy Bottom short things, and he was always hold up centre back. I remember we used to play
0: every Thursday night. I bet he was a bruiser. If you got tackled by fellows, you'd know about it, wouldn't you, George?
2: No, no, no. I was Twinkle Toes out wide on the wing. <laughs> I was, I was Cristiano Ronaldo.
1: Yeah. Nice to catch up there with Charlie. Uh, as you can see, he's a great, great character. He's a lot. La- he's a laugh. A minute, I can't tell you how fun it is to train for him. And he wears, he wears his heart, on his absolute absolutely. How does he take losing? No, he's, he's pretty good. He loves winning. We, he, we didn't get a chance at all. We landed a right touch at Chester, the Chester May meeting. Do you remember when another back one, Sylvester rode it? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He kind of took it upon himself to be to back the horse, and it was just being smashed all day. And yet, when that one, that was nice, but. He did have huge frustrations with not being able to, um, to come and see the horses and not get racing and it really wore him down. And so much more sensible him um, having a couple of horses at Hammonds is less pressure, you know.
0: And he sounds so passionate, doesn't he? He sounds like he wants to come and see his horses, wants to be part of stable life and really enjoys ownership getting inside the stables. Yeah,
1: he, he loves his horses. He loves the lads as well. He'd know all the lads by name. And we had a great old run with him. But, I, you know, I speak to him regularly just because he just makes me laugh more than
0: he. <laughs> He's entertaining, isn't he? He's top value.
1: Great. Um, you know, I think... We're obviously, we're all, everyone's in the same position regarding the new market and where we're at, but I just wanted to say that, um, you know, we're all very much looking forward to getting back racing when um, the government feel that it's the right time. I know speaking to Charlie, I can't tell you how well the staff are working, how sensible they're being, how appreciative they are, as am I, to be out. In the mornings in the fresh air training these horses and for once there's no better vacation at the moment really than uh, being a trainer is
2: there i don't think any of the lads will ever complain about having a having them um, to work ever again they're incredibly grateful that they're not in the position that a lot of the people in the world are, are in at the moment and that they can come to work and they can get out of the house for a few hours every day and we're very lucky uh, in that regard and as soon as the figures start going our way racing will be one of the first things that gets going again because it is a massive employer of people and there are so many uh, lives who are affected by racing whether you're actually working in a racing yard whether you are a stud whether you're working for a bookmaker whether you're working for uh, a race course uh, or a big race course group like ARC like it there are so many lives dependent on it and I think the government know that and I'm sure that once things start going in the right direction and we get some more positive news on the numbers, then racing will be up and running uh, in a very different format from what we know it, but up and running nonetheless. And and that'll be um, something for us all to look
0: forward to. And lads, can I ask you, you're, you're training your horses. How hard is that when you obviously want to get them going, get them rolling so that when they do take the wraps off and we can race again, you're ready. But at the same point, presumably, you can't really gallop too much too hard because we don't know when that starting point is. So how do you manage the balance there?
2: It's not easy because um, because of when the lockdown happened and when racing stopped, I'd say the majority of horses were at sort of 80% fitness because they were just building up at the beginning of the season. So what you've got is you've then got to you've got to keep them ticking over and maintain that level of fitness. But at the same time, you don't want them to get bored and you don't want them to have the monotonous of doing the same thing every time, every day. Because when you're racing, you build them up for a race. They go and race. They then have an easy week doing little bits and bobs. They freshen up and then you build them up again and you're up and down, up and down all the time. Now, we're trying to fiddle away, keep these horses ticking over, keep them at a stage where if we got two weeks notice... You have them ready, bang, ready to go, but at the same stage, trying to keep them fresh mentally, and that is not an easy thing. That is not an easy thing. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, how the horses cope with that for the next month or so.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think it's really important to remember that it, it, you know when we when we do get back racing, whenever that is, you know, provide it in the next few weeks, there's a huge there's a huge the majority of the season left to run. You know, and, and it's, it's entirely likely they're going to push back the season on the grass into December. You know, it, I think it's important to keep an eye on and make sure that the horses have got plenty, you know, not overtraining them. And, you know, cause they, they've got plenty of racing left.
2: Fantastic news that Royal Alaska are even considering running behind closed doors. I mean, I was incredibly worried that Royal Alaska would be a, with a crowd or not at all. And yet the other day they came out and said that their plans are in place to r- run behind closed doors if if the situation has improved by then. So that is a real, real sort of ray of light. And we just I pray that Royal Ascot is able to go ahead because um, it'll be a very, very sad to miss that this year.
1: I struggle to see how they're going to have the two-year-old races regardless. But my suggestion, not that anyone's listening, is that you, you could replace them with highest profile races that might have been missed in the calendar. And then you could have a two-day Royal Ascot-type meeting later in the year when the two-year-olds have sorted themselves out a little bit. There's lots of different ideas and everyone, for once in racing, is pulling together and trying to do the best by the sport. And we, we as trainers have you know, put, in, put everything into practice to protect our staff and that's the, our priority, really, really that, um, you know, and has been throughout this.
0: Is that about time up then, gents? Brilliant to have Charlie Austin as our guest and great to get off the bridle back for Series 2. We're all back again next week, aren't we, folks? We'll do this a few times, get some more people on. Thanks to our producer, Carl Homer, from Cambridge TV. On behalf of all of us, thank you for listening and goodbye. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. See you now. Cheers.